Oddball Sports is produced by KKKP the DJ. Welcome to another episode of the Oddball Sports Podcast. All thoughts and opinions of all hosts are the thoughts and opinions of said host and do not reflect the thoughts and opinions of the other hosts of podcast as a whole. Enjoy the episode you're about to listen to. Hello ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to episode 3 of season 2 of the Oddball Sports Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Nana Mark Hadson. And I'm here today with Diane Addo, David Kofite, and we have a special guest here today. Yeah, but in my second episode, your favorite guest, Papa Maritansen. We may or may not have one of our regulars, Papa Kajuspio, join us on this episode, but let's get into our first topic. The athletes that represented Ghana in this year's Olympics in Tokyo have met with the president and have received some monies and awards from the presidency and the government as a whole. So President Nana Akufuado has announced that the Olympic Games medalist Samuel Techi will receive a car, $10,000 and another $20,000 to be put in a fund for him. Additionally, each member of the Olympic contingent will receive $5,000 each and that makes the total going to the team that represented Ghana to be 150,000 US dollars. So Dave, I'll start with you. What are your thoughts on the awards being given to Samuel Techi, for example, and the monies going out to the team as a whole? And how do you think we can plan better for the next Olympics in Paris in 2024? All right. So I believe it's good to have a government portion some some monies and then and reward these athletes for a good work done. But for me I believe much could have been done than just giving them five thousand dollars. When you, you you look at the blasters and what they give them, even when they don't they don't they don't perform or they don't bring us anything. But we, we still find a way to we reward them with huge sums of money that we don't really even understand but they still receive such monies. So looking at it, I mean it's it's a, it has become something that we, we always do now. Our athletes will go, they come back, we just give them, I mean, any chicken change because we feel they are not blasters, so they don't really merit what they give to, I mean, the other national team. But we all know what it took these guys to be able to participate at the Olympics this year. Some of them did not have any government backing. They did their personal training in, in their various universities in the US. They only had few months to I mean come together, train and go to Tokyo and participate. And they did amazingly well because some of their the personal best that, that they were setting and all should even tell you there's an improvement and there's hope for this country when it comes to sports and not just football. Boxing has not given us medal in fifty years. Eventually you got bronze and you are supposed to reward this boy and then you give you tell us that you are going to give him ten thousand dollars and then kids to into a fight for him. When we've done we've done things for other national and teams, individuals who I mean won the under twenty and the twenty and the under twenty team that won the two thousand same thing happened to them. You you, you said you you put money into yeah, funds for them. So dates you don't even know whether they've received those monies. And you are doing same for so yeah, it has become a long trajectory where we put funds for you that I mean in the near future you receive it and then have a go but we don't get to hear whether the athletes get to even receive it. So probably they will get they will get old and now you hear them on radio saying government owes them. So I think we have a long way to go. We need to really give them what they deserve. Papa, you heard what Dave had to say. Is there anything you'd like to add to that? Yeah, I do. First of all, congratulations to all our athletes and 
especially the runners up. They made me especially proud, apart from our relay, of course, which didn't go as planned. However, on the topic of giving cash prizes to these participants, I think, in theory, it's a, it's a great idea. But as David rightly pointed out, the, the amount you're giving to each athlete is not the same. When the Black Stars come home, you give them much more than what you've given to these Olympic athletes. And that's not even my main concern. Seeing the shape of our country and how you talk about our economy is going bad and we're borrowing every day, our debt is here to fix at this point. I just feel like our priorities are really in the wrong place at, at this point in time. So in theory, I would love for every athlete to be, to be given something large, but at the same time, I think it's about high time we started scaling back on everything and focusing on the things that really matter. Mm. Well, I, I agree with what you just said about we being told the economy is going one way, but whenever an athlete or our athletes do something, the government seems to have a change of heart and wants to splurge out large sums of money when we don't know where those monies are coming from. But like you said, we're proud of the athletes. They've done a very good job. Like Dave said, most of them, if not all of them, trained on their own, did their own preparation without much support, if any, from the government and have gone out. And now it seems like the government wants to give them these monies, in my opinion, to cover them for saying, oh, sorry, sorry, we didn't really help you to do your training and represent us in the Olympics, but uh, you've come home. So let us find something small for you. Like, that's what it looks like to me. But Diane, what were, you, what were your thoughts on this? Um, before Diane comes, let me just quickly cut it again. With the money that we give to each athlete, as you mentioned, almost every athlete had to go elsewhere to train on their own. With the money we've spent over time in prices and cash gains, it's clear to see that we could have built state-of-the-art facilities that will enable our athletes to come home and train and not go to universities in, the, in America and other countries to go and train as if we're begging them to say, yeah, we don't have what is required, so please allow us to use your facilities and see where we can end up. Um, it's quite embarrassing if you ask me for a country that calls itself in a rising star in, in Africa. It's quite embarrassing. So I think work needs to be done. And as I said, priorities need to be put in the right place. Okay. I agree with some some of the points that you guys have made, especially Papa, you just made the putting in the right place and stuff argument. But I think all in the athletes, I understand the incentive, but I think it's good to an extent, obviously, if you have the money to spend, because I feel like it encourages others. However, I also feel like a lot of other countries, they only award their athletes when they are medaled. So I also feel like it's also, on the other hand, unnecessary to give those who just competed. But it's a good incentive for future athletes, I guess. It's just putting, obviously, investing in athletics and the sports in the grassroots stage is very important. And I feel like that's where the money should be going. And obviously making or establishing proper national, national governing bodies for each sport. So funding can be given to these athletes from day one. Instead of, like Papa said, travelling to places and other countries to train and things like that and finding their own means to train. So I think that's where the underlying problem is. But yeah, um, it's a good incentive to an extent, but yeah, that's my argument. See, it's like what Diane said, 
other countries basically just award their athletes for winning medals. Like they give them money when they only when they win medals. But I think that's a problem in of itself because these athletes spend tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars or pounds or whatever their currency is to train and prepare for these Olympics. And it's an expensive game. And if you don't really give them anything for flying your flag, like it becomes dicey and then people may not want to represent you in the Olympics, even though it's a big world event for them personally. Yeah, that's why the problem is stems from, you know, funding and giving them the opportunity to get this funding at home rather than flying out and paying for coaches elsewhere and stuff like that. So Once again, we are Oddball Sports. We say well done to everyone who represented Ghana, from the swimmers, from the pers- the taekwondo athlete, from the judo athlete, from the swimmer, from the track athletes, and our f- field star, Nadia Eke. Congratulations to all of you. And actually, how can I forget our boxer, Samuel Tichi? Congratulations to all of you. Thank you for representing Ghana this summer at the Tokyo Olympics. Moving on to our next topic, we've seen UEFA announce the th- nominees for this year's UEFA Awards. So we'll take a look first at the three nominees for the UEFA Men's Player of the Year Award. The three nominees in alphabetical order are Kevin De Bruyne of Belgium and Manchester City, Jorginho of Italy and Chelsea Football Club, and N'Golo Kante of France and Chelsea Football Club. Papa, I'll start with you. Who do you feel deserves this UEFA Men's Player of the Year Award the most? In my honest opinion, it would have to be Jorginho Hellerar. This is not in the opinion of a Chelsea fan, because from the beginning of even this season that's just concluded, Jorginho was probably one of my most slandered players. He did not have any respect for me because, again, he was a side person who couldn't help the team in any way. He could not defend, he could not find the forward ball, he could not make a tackle. It was quite embarrassing to see him play. However, over the past season, he's grown into a role that he's really made his own. And N'Golo Kante and Kevin De Bruyne are both great players in their own right. However, the growth of Jorginho and the, the skills that he's shown over the past season, leading, well, partaking in Chelsea's Champions League triumph, leading Italy to a Euro that a lot of people didn't have them as their favourite for, and obviously the Super Cup that Chelsea just won. So I think Jorginho has just been the best player all season round, and he definitely deserves it. De Bruyne not as important as Kante or Jorginho was this past season, so yeah, it would have to be Jorginho, then Kante, then De Bruyne. Diane, what do you have to say? You said De Bruyne has not been as influential this past year compared to Jorginho or Conte. I mean, we briefly talked about it before we recorded, but I mean, if we're being neutral, I have to agree with Papa. This past season, I think Jorginho deserves the the award. Accolades, accolades are spoken for him. And yeah, I have to agree with the order that he's given. So Jorginho, Conte and Kevin De Bruyne. I feel if Man City had won the Champions League, then Kevin De Bruyne would have been, you know, a contender this year. But yeah, Jorginho has led his team for like three, is it three major his respective teams for three to three major trophies this year. So yeah, Jorginho. Even though it hurts me to say. Um, Dave, who do you have winning the UEFA Men's Player of the Year award? Yeah, um, I I believe obviously what everyone has said right now, Jorginho has has proven yes to beyond in every doubt that um he deserves to win this award. He ha- he has done it all <laughs> when it comes to this season, the past season, winning the Euros as well. Obviously, at the beginning of the season, he, he wasn't really the man, but eventually 
he eventually he got himself into the groove to help Chelsea in every aspect of it to I mean literally win almost every trophy. So yeah, Jorginho deserves to win it um, ahead of N'Golo Kante and then Kelvin De Bruyne. You're not going to get any arguments from me there. But I think Jorginho played a key part in Chelsea, Chelsea winning the Champions League last season, Italy winning the Euros over the summer, and then Chelsea again won the Super Cup this summer. Kante, even though he was, Kante was instrumental for the Super Cup, Kante dealt with injuries in and out of last season. So, even though he's an integral and a wonderful player to watch, I think this award goes to Jorginho. For the women's player of the year, we have Jennifer Hermoso of Spain and Barcelona, FC Barcelona, Nike Martins of the Netherlands and FC Barcelona, and Alexia Putellas of Spain and FC Barcelona. All these three women truly deserve the award, as you see, Barcelona's La Liga record and their record in the Champions League last season was phenomenal. In La Liga, they won 33 out of their 34 games. They scored 167 goals while only conceding 15. So any of these three wonderful ladies deserves the award. And legit, Barca won the Champions League and the La Liga last season for good reason. And we can see why. For the UEFA Men's Coaches of the Year, the three nominees were Pep Guardiola of Spain and Manchester City, Roberto Mancini, who's Italian and coaches the Italian men's national team, and Thomas Tuchel of Germany and Chelsea. Um, Diane, who do you have winning the Men's Coach of the Year award? I have to go with Thomas Tuchel, but I also think Mancini is close-ish second. Thomas Tuchel, he took Chelsea's team, obviously, to Champions League victory and after, you know, a turbulent start to the season. Yeah, I just think... Yeah, Thomas Tuchel. That's all I have to say about that situation. And obviously Mancini winning his, winning the Euros with Italy, you know, not being strong favourites and still winning. Um, it's a great achievement as well. So, but I think Thomas Tuchel will take this year. Papa, do you have your coach Thomas Tuchel winning the UEFA Men's Coach of the Year? First of all, um, I'd like to give a shout out to obviously Roberto Mancini for his uh, amazing feat with the Italian national team. I did not expect it. Italy were not my favourites going into the competition, but they came out with my heart. Well done to them, really. But obviously, I would have to go with Thomas Tuchel just based on the work he did with that Chelsea team. I mean, as a fan, in December, I was down and out. I didn't know what to do with myself. Um, But he really came in and changed the way we played within a matter of minutes, not even games. And, I mean, he took us to the FA Cup final, which, unfortunately, we lost to a wonder goal from Yuri Tielemans. He took us to the UEFA Champions League final, which we beat Pep Guardiola, uh, who shouldn't even be in this top three of managers shortlisted and yeah relax we, i didn't bash your manager at all and then we obviously won the uefa super cup just to talk to add some i think to the cake so it has to be thomas tuchel in my books anyone who says otherwise probably doesn't like chelsea dave do you not like chelsea who do you have as your uefa men's coach of the year <laughs> so we I mean, it is not really about who I like and who I, I dislike, but um, let's face facts here. Mancini, I mean, did amazingly well with the Azuris. I mean, his record with the national team is great. It's a, it's a great feat. They've had a long run to 
winning the Euros. But I mean, club football always wins. <laughs> unless, unless it is World Cup. Tuchel obviously did great with Chelsea, even though he took charge. I mean, in the latter part, you would say a little credit should also go to, I mean, Frank Lampard because he started the gym before he took over. But he finished off, I mean, really well. Um, they won the Champions League and then the, even the UEFA Super Cup. And I think that alone is enough to propel him to the prize. So, just to ask, took it for me. I'd give a shout-out to Roberto Mancini. The Italians are still riding a 34-game unbeaten streak. A 34-game unbeaten streak since he took over the national team job. And you may say, yes, they were lucky to escape on penalties against Spain and then England in the final to be crowned European champions. But if you watch the football they played in the group stages, you could see they always had a plan and a way they were going to get through games. So that's who, that's a person I have fit, finishing a very close second to Thomas Tuchel. Because like Dave said, club football always seems to take the pie um, when it comes to these award competitions. And I feel the same is going to be true here. I wouldn't be upset if Mancini won. But I think it is going to go to Tuchel. For the Women's Coach of the Year, we have the three coaches nominated are Luis Cortez, of who's Spanish and coached the FC Barcelona women's team. Peter Gerhardsen, who's Swedish and coached the Swedish women's national team. And Emmer Hayes of England and Chelsea. Me personally, I think Luis Cortez deserves the award because, like I read, you don't win 33 out of your 34 league matches in a season and think it's easy. You don't score 167 goals while only conceding 50 and think that's easy you, you took 99 out of 102 possible points through your league season and you won the champions league you are the person who deserves to win uefa the uefa women's coach of the year award does anyone else have anything to add i'd like to go um big shout out to emma hayes um for putting chelsea women's football team on the Really, she has done an amazing job over there in London. But yeah, obviously, there's no way anyone can say <laughs> any coach apart from the Barcelona coach deserves that that trophy. All these um coaches are insane coaches. Yeah, as Papa said, Emma Hayes, and obviously, I think Luis Cortez will win it. But I mean. Credit has to be due to be given to Peter Gerhardsen with the work he did with Swedish women's national team for the Olympics. I mean, Sweden, I feel like this year he's put them on the map. No one's favourites are Sweden ever. So when they came to win silver and Olympics, really, yeah, very great achievement. So yeah, but I still think, like, I agree with everyone, Luis Cortez. Dave, you can go. Okay. Yeah, I agree with Luis because um, the work done... I mean, it's it's really amazing, and you you only get few people to to do this. It it doesn't really happen a lot of times. So I believe if the award goes to him, then yes, good, he deserves it. So let's see how that one goes as well. Okay, moving on from the UEFA awards, moving to the biggest transfer this past summer, where we saw Aaron Ramsdale join Arsenal. I kid, I kid, I kid. Where we saw. Be serious. <laughs> <laughs> where, oh we, where we saw Lionel Messi move from 
Barcelona, albeit a bit emotionally, move from Barcelona to PSG. Uh, I, I just want to get your thoughts on how well you feel he personally will do at PSG. Will he lead them to that Champions League title they've been chasing all this time? Or do you think they will fall short once again? I think, obviously, having Messi on your team puts you on the next level. But I think this year's Champions League will be more balanced. I don't know why, more competitive than last year, than last season. However, I see PSG going far. I mean, their team is disgustingly unfair and uneven for the rest of us. But yeah, PSG, Messi, I don't think Messi will flop. He's not that kind of player who will flop. But then again, we haven't seen him anywhere apart from Barcelona. But the kind of player he is and like pedestal we put him on and, you know, things like that, I don't think he'll flop at all. I hope he doesn't flop. But so I think PSG will go far this Champions League and win, also win the League One title. Yeah, Papa, he can go. As we all know, I've been hypercritical of uh, Messi throughout his career journey, and I commend him for taking a step outside La Liga. However, taking a step to PSG is like taking a step from the Premier League to the third division of English football. Especially with the team PSG have put together with the likes of Donnarumma, Sergio Ramos, um, Ashraf Hakimi... Jorginho Wijnaldum, just to name a few. It's it's quite um, shocking that the best player in the world, according to many, would take such an opportunity. Uh, but oh well, I mean, football is uh, just a game where you go earn money for winning tin-pot trophies anyway. So I don't think Messi will flop because it's the French League, first of all. And in terms of the Champions League, it's it's a tough one to decipher because they have Pochettino at the helm, I'm not a manager I trust with my full heart. However, with the quality of players, Neymar, Messi, <laughs> you're bound to win it. Uh, I don't see Chelsea and other teams challenging like PSG can. I mean, me personally, I think once Messi and Neymar finally join the team, Icardi will sit on their bench. Their, their lineup in their last match against Brest saw Mbappe, Icardi, Wijnaldum, Verratti, Herrera, Idrissa Gay, Diallo, Kimpembe, Kera, Hakimi, and Navas. I feel very soon Donnarumma will replace Navas through no fault of Navas his own, but I feel just I just feel Donnarumma is a higher level keeper. When Sergio Ramos is fully fit, people like Diallo and Kerr probably won't see much game time because it's probably going to be Marquinhos, Kimpembe and Ramos holding down the, um, the centre-back spots. And basically, Icardi will have to sit down. Herrera probably won't see that much game time because Di Maria will be forcing his way back into the team. So, yes, I do see Messi being able to lead this Bar- I mean, this PSG side to a Champions League trophy. <laughs> If not this year, definitely in the second year of this deal when everything more so clicks. Dave, you can go. Yeah, so Messi's, Messi's move to PSG, I mean, even though he shook all of us, I think the argument has always been, he has been a one, one club man. So like, I mean, he doesn't want to move and he doesn't want to challenge himself and all. But eventually it had to happen, I mean, under some weird circumstance to, for him to move. And I believe whatever that he has set sights on to do with PSG, he might achieve it, but it's not going to come easy. Even though assembled, I mean, some few good, good players who are world class as well. And on any day, they can pull any surprise on any other team that they meet. Mesti alone in that PSG setup is like, they are 70% assured of winning the Champions League next season. But yeah, it is the Champions League and 
they are they are bound to I mean have surprises as well. So it is not certainly going to be them because they have I mean the best players at their, at their disposal. Obviously with the Ligue 1, it's 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 going back to the one way one way horse again because I don't see anyone catching up with them. Leo were able to I mean break their jinx last season, but I mean they will they will take over again and by the time Messi leaves PSG he might probably have had <laughs> I mean a lot of Ligue 1 trophies and Coupe de France and the rest. So um he's going to help them certainly but having Pochettino at the helm of affairs also tells you that yes the job is not done yet because he's going to meet I mean managers who are better than him when it comes to tactics and if he's not able to manage these guys well, then what it means is that the world-class team might not be enough to have the world at their feet, I mean, certainly. So, we will see how the season goes for them, even though it's, it's just early days yet. Um, before anyone else goes, I was actually... I That's one of the reasons why I agree with David. The question of egos on that PSG team is quite crazy because, I mean, already you had Neymar and Mbappe, some of the most self-centered players in the world. Mbappe, I don't know where where he's gotten it from, but it's gotten pretty out of control. But now you're adding the likes of Sergio Ramos. Messi wants the ball 24-7. I'm sure Di Maria won't be wanting to be pushed to the backburners either. So, I mean, will they allow themselves to play as individuals or to play as a team is the question you'll have to ask yourself in the in the upcoming future i mean yeah at the end of the day everything will fall at the feet of their coach pochettino mauricio pochettino because pochettino he doesn't have a strong track record of like being able to manage egos when he got to tottenham the team was still young so he molded them in his image now he's going to have to be able to manage egos like papa you said di maria neymar mbappe icardi has a huge ego Ramos is a big name in the game. Um, Marquinhos has become an established name in the game. Donnarumma just came off the Euros. He, he wouldn't be happy not playing regular football. So like, it's going to be uh, massaging of egos. And if they do fail to win the big years trophy in the Champions League, I feel uh, people would put place it at the feet of Mauricio Pochettino like they did his predecessor in Thomas Tuchel. Bio has joined us. Bio, do you have anything to add? I personally feel like the owners of PSG didn't take into consideration the team can attack a huge factor. They were just looking for ways to convince Mbappe that they decided to cash out and sound the big names in the game. However, big names do not always equate access. We take a look at Real Madrid. There was a period where they used to sign their hashtag Galacticos almost every season and look at how they struggled to win the Champions League from 2002 all the way to 2014. Yes. This team, I honestly don't see how they're going to succeed very well in terms of ego. Now, Let's take the best lineup. The best lineup. We start from the back. Donnarumma. Then we have Marquinhos, Sergio Ramos. You have Aquino. You have maybe Juan Bella. Then in midfield, you have Verratti. You have maybe this and that again. Up front, Dimarra to the right, Messi in the middle, Momo on the left, Bappe up top. I feel that PSG is going to struggle in terms of team chemistry unless Messi finds a way of joining them together. It's either so the PSG players will decide to use the same approach in the back of the players, everybody will say, give the ball to Messi, give the ball to Messi. 
know, we know, we know Neymar already. Neymar is not that kind of person. Maybe he may do it for a couple of games, but he's not that kind of person. Di Maria may do it for a couple of games, but Charlie, at a point in time, you will like shine. After Mbappe, he doesn't already want to sign a new, uh, what do you call the contract. So, yes, we are all saying that Pochettino has won every trophy already, even before starting the game, but I, I really want to see how he's going to combine the egos, especially for positions that have at least two or three very good individuals. Take the midfield, for example. You either have Verratti, you either have Herrera, you either have Ibiza Ganegui, you have Wijnaldum, and you also have Herrera. These are five midfielders. How are you going to combine these guys to play effectively and make everybody before you even consider your right wingers, Di Maria and Draxler? I mean, I really want to see how this guy is going to handle it, but PSG, I think it's too early. Let's take a look at the matches for game week three of the Premier League season. So Saturday, August 28th, Man City take on Arsenal at 11.30. Aston Villa will take on Brentford at 2pm. Brighton will take on Everton at 2pm. Newcastle will take on Southampton at 2pm. Norwich will take on Leicester at 2pm. West Ham will take on Crystal Palace at 2pm. Liverpool will take on Chelsea at 4.30pm. Sunday sees Burnley take on Leeds. Spurs take on Watford. Wolves take on Manchester United. We'll take a look at the two big games quickly. Uh, let me start with the Man City Arsenal game. What do you guys see happening in that game? Spear, you can go first. I think this is a very English Arsenal. Thank you for your prediction. David, City Arsenal. It's 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 a zero one game for almost shame for all of you. So Arsenal are a team we all don't respect, especially me. However, it seems like in big matches they they don't like to be embarrassed. But um, it's like one of the underdogs, one of the relegation teams beating the top fourteen. However, I I still see Man City giving them an, an easy score, like maybe a two 0 or three 0 Diane. Yeah, I mean I see a two 0 victory. Man City, of course, no other argument. Thank you. Nana, what about you? First of all, I'm the one who asks questions. I don't get questions. No. <laughs> so what? All of you, what's your problem? Honestly, I see a no-nil game. The sec- second Premier League game we're going to predict for match week three sees Liverpool hosting Chelsea at Anfield. I will go first for this one, and I see it will be an enthralling encounter. I can see it going. Chelsea don't like to concede goals, but I see it going three to the way of Liverpool. You don't know ball. Two one, two one Chelsea. Easy prediction. Next. Yeah, I agree with Papa on this one. Same, same scoreline. Going with my heart, and I'm saying three two Chelsea. They're definitely going to be goals. Dave, I, I see that game ending with a zero zero draw. I'm not sure it's going to be. The last Premier League game we'll predict is Wolves versus Manchester United. So, Dave, I'll stay with you. How do you see your team getting on against <laughs> Wolverhampton Wanderers? We've shown, we've shown that we have a lot of goals from all around when it comes to United. So, obviously, uh, Wolves wouldn't be a really good deal for us. 4 0 sharp. I'm drawn over Diane? I give a 2 0 victory, Manny. Uh, I can see uh, them dispatching Wolves 3 1. Uh, I don't trust the new Wolves manager. Papa? Unfortunately, this is not a Wolves board that we had with Ludo, and seeing that they could only manage two wins out of six season matches, one of them coming against Coventry, and the other one coming against Real Betis, losing to teams like Crew Alexander, New Dealers, Palmas, uh, 
that Man United are going to have a field day that thing and you see it through the open man. Thank you, thank you, <laughs> thank you. Alright, so moving to our last topic for today, um, we heard recently that the tennis great Rafael Nadal has pulled out of the US Open and he's ruled himself out of all competitions for the rest of this year, 2021. So is this the end for the tennis great um, Rafa Nadal and or do you guys see him coming back in the future when he returns in 2022 to win a grand, another Grand Slam before he finally calls it a day? The question is, is this the end of Rafa Nadal? I believe it's the beginning of the end. Mandem is 35 challenge and if if you've been following tennis for a longer time, he's been amongst the top three legends. He's been the one with the deep, deep sport. So his game has been hard, wild, deep for a longer time. And I'm, I'm really not surprised that you know, he's now facing all of these injury problems at this time. You know. And this foot injury has been a long term. We're talking about, you know, French Hope when he crashed out this year. Do you understand? So he won 2017, 2018, 2019, 2020. This year he crashed out, and that was when his long term issue started. I see him trying to work everything out, you know, trying to gain himself fit. Yeah, this is the beginning of the end. Yeah, I mean, I agree with Spiel. Nadal has been under the radar for a while, in my opinion, and this injury accelerates, you know, the end for him, I feel. But yeah, he's up there in age as well, and that also adds to is another factor. Personally, I don't see him winning another Grand Slam. It's going to be the same vibes as Serena, where it's kind of sad to see, you know, these greats, you know, the the new tennis players pushing them out you know, slowly, but it's definitely there. Can I just add this, that um, the last Grand Slam that Federer won was in 2017, when he was 36. So I, I, mean, I, I feel like Nadal, you know, still has built the juiciness. Um, so maybe like one or two. In my opinion, I believe I'm on the same side of you. I mean, this guy turned pro in 2001 before I was even born at the age of 15, and he's now 35. There's only so long because you can go until the juice in your system runs out. So, with all these injuries, personally, I do not see him winning another Grand Slam unless we see maybe one of the other big stars pulling out of the competition, making it easier for him to win the, the competition. But yeah, at this point, I do not see him winning another Grand Slam. And I think it is about to be the end for Rafael Nadal. But I think I agree with upon this because uh, you see Djokovic for instance had to put the shoulder in for them and he's still back into his losses in the last. So knowing Nadal and having watched him for the longest time, if he comes back he will be very well. So I think that is a beast. I tip him for like one or two more grand slams. Yeah. I, I, I agree with the point raised by David that um, Jokovic came back uh, and come back like he never left. And I think it's a great idea for Nadal to take time off, as Nanai mentioned, the entire rest of the year to try and heal from this injury. However, I mean, if you watch a player like Jokovic, that man is chasing if he's a machine. And I don't know whether Nadal has what it takes to to stop that, but if he is to face Djokovic in another Grand Slam fight, that's just my opinion. All right, so those are the thoughts of everyone on tennis, everyone but me, but yeah. I don't need to give my thoughts. I hope you've enjoyed the show today. It's been Nana Mark Hansen here with Diane Addo, Papa Kojuspio, David Kofite, and my brother, the main man himself, our special guest for episode three of season two of Audible Sports, Papa Mark Hansen. Thank you for listening to Audible Sports. Catch you again, same place, same time next week. Love.
You can follow us on Instagram at oddball underscore sport. That is the at sign O-D-D-B-A-L-L underscore sports S-P-O-R-T-S On Twitter at oddball sports That is the at sign O-D-D-B-A-L-L underscore S-P-R-T-S On Audiomark and all other podcast streaming services by searching oddball sports podcast. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. Oddball Sports. Oddball Sports.